Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, October 28th. Hi, everybody. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined, as always, on Thursdays by Mike Tanier and our special guest for this Thursday, Brian Knowles. We are here to preview Week 8 of the NFL season. Uh, we're going to hit all the big games of this week. Thank you so much again for joining us on Twitch, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, in the little widget on the top right-hand uh, part of our website. Wherever you are watching us right now or listening to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, a reminder to please subscribe to make sure you catch all our shows every weekday at 1 p.m., and uh, today, as always on Thursday, we're going to hit the big games of the week. Uh, we noted right before we came on the air that there are four 10-point lines this week. So we are a little bit in the doldrums of the NFL season. We will not be discussing those games this week. Aww. I want to talk about the Jets. Do you want to go deep into Houston, the Houston Texans, <laughs> and the Rams? All right. I'll throw this out there. Okay. Which of these one which of these games is the underdog most likely to cover? Buffalo minus 13 and a half against Miami. Rams minus 14 and a half against Houston. Cincinnati minus 10 and a half against the Jets. Or Kansas City minus 10 against the Giants. It you know, it honestly might be the Texans, just because the Rams came out a little flat last week, but uh I'm not going to be putting money on any of these. <laughs> I, I think you're right. It probably is the Texans. And because you're right, the, the, the Rams came out flat. The Texans came out a little strong last week. Oh, yeah, and it came out a little strong in past weeks. I have been losing a lot of money on my first quarter preps, uh, props. And I'm taking the Texans plus seven and a half for the first half of this game. Ooh. But I'm also going Rams 35, Texans 16 for the final. So that's just me. I don't expect other people to follow me on this journey. Texans coming out strong on Twitter, too. <laughs> Brandon Cook's not happy about the Mark Ingram trade. Right, right. If the leader of the Tua Tagovailoa is not as bad as you think brigade, I would go with Miami plus 13 and a half if I had to go with one of these underdogs. If you combine the fact that the Buffalo defense, as great as it's been, right, we know defense less consistent, less predictive than offense. Right. If you combine that with Tua is better than Brissett. Sorry. I mean, I know Tua has not been as advertised. He needs to improve in his second year. He's currently below replacement level. He's still better than Brissett. I would go with Miami plus 13 and a half if I had to go with one of those games. He has shown life in the second half of games as well. He showed life last week in that respect. And uh, I think in general, the Dolphins are more competitive than some of these other teams. Just all of the, and I wrote about it in last week's walkthrough, all of the double-digit dogs, all of those teams, they have a hard time climbing off the carpet in this, these games. So I'll see 10, 11, 12, 13-point spreads, and usually like, I want to jump on the backdoor cover. These teams, don't, most of them don't put up a lot of the fight in the fourth quarter. So that might be what is different about the Dolphins. No, yeah. that's what the Lions do, right? The Lions feel like the backdoor cover team of the year. Right. Yeah, but no one's giving them big spreads anymore because the, the, everyone's caught up on that. A reminder for those of you who are watching live, please feel free to ask us questions in the chat. We will hit you up with whatever you ask. Uh, but let's talk about now the really good games, like the actual games of this week that matter. Uh, I mean, not the, the games with the 
big spreads don't matter because there's always the possibility of an upset, but these are games with two good teams. Uh, and let's start with tonight because tonight is a great one that's sort of been ruined by COVID, but uh, over the last two years, what hasn't? Uh, Green Bay at Arizona. Now, uh, we have cool little graphics later on with our playoff odds. We don't for this game because this game barely matters for playoff odds. Green Bay is in the playoffs 98% of the time when they win and 91% if they lose. And Arizona, 99% if they win, 96% if they lose. A better look at things is how often in our simulations these teams make it to the Super Bowl. Green Bay, 14% when they win, 9% when they lose. Arizona, 21% when they win, 13% when they lose. Wow. The Super Bowl odds for the Cardinals are, are stunning. I mean, I know they're an undefeated team, but we've we've really accelerated from, oh, they're going to be like at the bottom of the wild card last place in that division a couple weeks ago to, yeah, you know, 24% chance or whatever you just said, 21% chance of making the Super Bowl. The win of making the Super Bowl, yeah. Not of winning it, of making it if they win this game and go 8 0. Because it's massive for the first round buy. I mean, it's, it's nothing for the playoff odds, but, you know, there's only one buy anymore. And if you're 8 0 and you just beat the presumptive NFC North champions, I still yep. don't get the Cardinals. I mean, we talked about how the Texans were frisky a bit in the first quarter last week, but that was against the Cardinals and Arizona. Look like they hadn't even met each other for the first quarter. Yes. You, you know, they, they were down, what, was it 5 nothing or something at, the, at that point? Mm-hmm. They, no one was getting open. Passes weren't happening. Snaps have been a disaster since Rodney yes. Hudson went out. And then, you know, that it was really disappointing. And then they won 31-5 to because, you know, the, the Cardinals, the other team were the Texans. But it feels like we, every week we keep asking, well, how good are the Cardinals really? And this was going to be a great test about it. And then now the entire receiving core is out for Green Bay. So next week we'll be asking, well, how good are the Cardinals, really? (laughs) Right. I mean, I think what's interesting from DVOA's perspective is the Cardinals are better on defense than they are on offense this year. And I know that would surprise people because we've paid so much attention to Kyler Murray. Right. Arizona is eighth on offense and second on defense. And the big problem is the running game. The running game is only 24th. So the problem is not Kyler Murray throwing the ball. Murray actually has terrible value rushing this year, but that's a large part because those aborted snaps end up counting as runs in the stats. Oh boy! Uh, but he's fumbled the ball a couple times on keepers too, not just on aborted snaps. Right. Um, but their defense has been so good, and I feel like I've said it every time we talk about Arizona. Like we went into this year thinking their defense is not going to be that good. Like the only way they're going to have a really good defense is if Watt and Chandler Jones are both healthy, healthy and playing like they're in their primes. Right. And the secondary has played far better than anybody expected. Yes. But now Watt is hurt. Right. Watt is hurt. Keep an eye on those snaps because Max Garcia, the backup center, was hurt. So they may be going with a third string center tonight. I don't have an update on that. And uh, it wasn't just the snaps, and Brian, you, you agree with it. It was like there was rushes. There were miscommunications. There were rushes right up the front. Texans pass rushers getting right up the gut and getting to Kyler Murray and forcing him to scramble. When, when, when I wrote the uh, free agent uh, value article before the season, J.J. Watt was a, says a slight overpay just because of his injury, injury history. I said right. like, If Watt is the guy he used to be, then they kind of got a great deal. Well, they got a great deal for about two months, and now, yeah, 
there's I've heard rumors about a Melvin Ingram trade. Possibly he wants out of Pittsburgh. He would make a lot of sense to go to Arizona. Yeah, but, but it feels like now they've got to make a move because there's there's suddenly a surprise contender. You get you got to go all in when you have that chance. I agree. It's, it's interesting how Ingram will fit because Watt. I mean, I think Watt still plays a lot as an interior lineman in a three-four, and that's not Ingram's bag. Ingram is an edge rusher. That's all he is. Um, but I definitely see when the the rumors about Ingram said the Chiefs are interested, but the Steelers would not want to send him within the conference because they still see themselves as playoff contenders. So right. Arizona does make some sense, and it makes sense for them to make a move on defense. Um, I don't know if they could pick up more secondary help. I mean, that's where – that's the big surprise of this year is the Arizona secondary, right? Because mm-hmm. we thought it was just Buda Baker and a bunch of who the hell are these guys. Yeah. And they've played really well. Right. Murphy's played pr- very well. They've had additional help at safety, other players. Alfred has played yes. reasonably. Yes. But then you come to the other side of the ball, like you said, we now know Devontae Adams is out in this game. Yep. Eddie Lazard, vac- unvaccinated, he's out. Um, and uh, it, somebody pointed out uh, earlier, Packers have scored a lot of points without Devontae Adams in the past. And a couple of handful of games that he's been unavailable. And it does, you know, the theory, is, uh, not to do Patrick Ewing theory type stuff, but like for a week or two to make Aaron Rodgers be like, oh, you have to actually do the game plan now, Aaron. You can't just throw to your guy. And now you have to get these other guys involved. Could ha- one game possibly have a short-term boost against, again, a team that's now missing one of their edge rushers? It hurts though when you're missing two of your top receivers here. So you're yeah. going with Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, and then what? Ecumenia St. Brown, I think, is, is, right. is the third one. Maybe unless Valdez Marquez Valdez Scantling, if his hamstring is good enough to go, he'll go, and he'd be pretty important because yeah. Cobb and Amari Rogers are the short yeah. guys, and you really want a field stretcher, and you'd much rather have Valdez Scantling than Equinemia St. Brown as the field stretcher. Agreed. Um, I will say Arizona is 29th against other wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who that is in this game. That's all the Packers receivers. Right, that's all of them. And they're number one against tight ends, which is not a good thing in a game where Rodgers is going to really need Robert Tanya. Yeah. yeah. You might see, you know, wheel routes and things like that to get Aaron Jones more uh, available downfield and stuff like that. But you're right. They might as well all wear other wide receiver on the backs of their jerseys in Green Bay. So, you know. Um, Another interesting thing about the Arizona offense, they are second this year offensively throwing deep passes of 16 or more air yards. Mm. And Green Bay is 12th against deep passes. But Arizona has been very successful going deep this year. A lot of that's A.J. Green. Shockingly, because I mean, he looked last year like he was cooked, and it's not just numbers, and it's not just bad quarterbacks. Like, no. visibly looked completely cooked. Right, right. Change of scenery did him some good. I mean, sometimes that really is the case, and it also helps. I mean, he had a group of receivers there, so it wasn't like he was getting double covered. But a new system, a, maybe a different, reemphasized role where you are just a boundary guy. That is all we're going to ask of you, and and uh, you know we're going to get you the ball more more often because we have a better quarterback, better system. He said his 95th percentile like outcome, as has the rest of the Arizona Cardinals. And, you know, <laughs> it's bit, like everything that could have gone right to this, so far this season has. Now yeah, it's some injury stuff, and now other than the running game being inefficient, basically everything has gone right for them this year. Man, I keep picking James Conner, James Conner, the loser league, and he keeps going. Oh, 10 carries, 30 yards. 
And a touchdown, of course, because of course he does. Right. Right. By the way, one thing I did notice in this is Packers Packers are notoriously slow starters, I think, every year. It seems in the first quarter. They're dead last in defensive DVOA in the first quarter. And that makes sense with what I've seen. They gave up big plays to Washington last week. They were letting that Herbert kid run all over them and let Chicago into the game early there. So this could be a situation if if they're doing some sort of slow start on both sides of the ball, Cardinals could get out on them early. Definitely. Uh, although I will say I did a little bit of work this week mm-hmm. and there does seem to be more predictive ability to the first quarter offensive DVOA right. than the first quarter defensive DVOA. It makes more sense like that you game plan well or game plan poorly, whereas on defense, sometimes you're just, well, we're reacting to what happened. Right. Yeah. So this is um, now Arizona by six and a half. Who would you pick? I'm taking the Packers. I am I'm taking, taking the Cardinals. You're, you're taking the Packers too? No, I'm taking the Cardinals. I'm, I'm, oh, you're I'm taking the Cardinals. I think I think it's gonna. Be, I don't think it's gonna be much more than six and a half. I think it's gonna be like you know twenty-seven twenty something along those lines. But I just with receiving core being out the way it is, I just I I question how how the Packers are gonna be able to respond. I took the Cardinals in the first quarter minus two and a half because of what we talked about in DVOA. And then I turned around when I saw Watt out and when I saw the injuries at center, which I think are almost, let's go with almost as significant as a loss of Devontae Adams. I turned around and took the Packers plus six and a half to win the game. Definitely if they're down to their third center, you get that cascade effect where it's like one, the backup is okay. And then the backup to the backup is. um, Might not have practiced with, with Murray until like yesterday. I like the Packers. Because the line is just a kind of big line for two really good teams. Yeah. Um, I don't like it that much, but I'll break the tie between the two of you and I'll say that I would go with the Packers plus six and a half. All right. Um, and especially if you could get plus seven, that would be. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that changes. might be worth buying the half point to get the plus right. seven. Right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about our second big game of the week. Now we're going to Sunday at one o'clock. And the battle for the AFC South, it's Tennessee at Indianapolis. Now we have the graphics. Yes. Tennessee makes the playoffs in 96% of simulations if they win this game, right? They will have like a three-game lead in the division, and they'll have won both games against Indianapolis. If they win this game, they win the division pretty much. 71% of the time they make the playoffs with a loss. Oops. Uh, Wrong graphic. Titans, (laughs) Titans, <laughs> Colts. I was very confused there. Colts, 62% of the time they make the playoffs with a win. 26% of the time they make the playoffs with the loss. Yes. So this is the most important game of the week for playoff odds as far as how much the playoff odds can change depending on who wins or loses this game. Right. And Darius Leonard went on uh, his – it was either his press conference or he stopped by – uh, Carson Wentz or Frank Rex and said, you know, I don't talk about must-win games, but this is a must-win game. And what you just described for the Colts is almost a must-win game. It's also their first opportunity to beat a good opponent. No offense to the 49ers. Yeah, after the A good opponent this year. They have not faced and beaten yeah. a good opponent this year. They have a small chance to win a wild card if they lose this game, but if they want to win the division, they have to have. And we um, talked about this a little yesterday, but I just I just keep going back and forth on both teams. 
up and down on both teams, trying to make sense of the Titans, who I think we have ranked like 28th or 29th in variance with good yes. reason. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time trying to get a beat on who the Colts really are, again, based off of strength of schedule, based off of Cyclone Bomb, and based off of some of the other things we've seen this year. Um, we talked yesterday about this, the Colts being the number one run defense in DVOA, yes. very narrowly over New Orleans. Uh, they were minus 26% DVOA for their week three game against the Titans. They held Henry to 4.2 yards per carry, but he still had 113 total yards because he has so many carries. Right. His, the success rate of running plays was only 33% in that game for the yes. Titans, but they don't care. They'll just keep running Henry and running him and running him, right. and then he'll break one. Right. Um, so... I don't know. I don't feel like they're going to hold Henry down. Like, even though they're number one in run defense, I feel like they're not going to hold him down too much. And yeah. it's interesting because if there, if there was ever a time for the Titans to go, we're going to throw the ball a bunch, this would be it. Because, like I said, number one, rush the uh, defense. And three of the Colts' four starting quarterbacks either did not practice or were limited yesterday. Mm. So, like... If there's ever a time for, oh, we're, just, we're going to see what A.J. Brown can do. We're just going to run the offense through him instead of Henry. This would be the week. I still don't think this is going to be the week. That's <laughs> not who they are. Yeah. It's not who they are, but they can take measured shots and get some success yeah. with that. And that's kind of what, what happened in that first game. Uh, yeah, Henry was limited until later in the game. Um, uh, Tannehill was, was sloppy with the ball. He threw a couple of turnovers, interceptions over the middle of the field. That kept the Colts in the game. That was a lot. There was a lot of march down the field turnover, march down the field, turnover by the Titans. If they can be semi-balanced, more balanced than we consider them to be, and eliminate that, uh, especially what you're talking about with the injury situation, they should be fine on offense. They should be able to get the job done on offense. Both teams have a lot of secondary injuries, though, right? right? The Titans have injuries in their secondary as well. I don't know what the current status is on guys like Christian Fulton, but... A couple of them are on IR. Yeah. And, you know, Byard's healthy. Some of them are healthy. A couple of the other guys, and I don't have their names on the tip of my tongue, stepped up big. I mean, obviously they were playing the Chiefs and they shut the Chiefs down. So yeah, there right. were some, there were some backups who came in. And I think they're journeymen who, like you know, were kind of pulled off the practice squad because you can be on the practice squad as a fourth year guy now. Uh, that they got out there and they played well enough last year and last week, and that builds well because it's still Patrick Mahomes. You're still out there against Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Now you're going against another quarterback who can be lulled into making the occasional mistake in Carson Wentz. Um, so you should be able to handle yourself there. And the Titans bring a lot of pressure. PFR has the Titans as fifth in pressure on defense. Mm -hmm. And the Colts are 29th in preventing pressure. Wentz plays himself into a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Eric Fisher has is not very good anymore. Um, as far as the weaknesses of the Titans defense, they are 30th against deep passes. Mm. And they are 29th against passes up the middle, both short and deep. The Colts' offense is only 30th on middle passes, so that's yes. not a really good place for them to be attacking the Titans' weakness. But they are number one in DVOA on deep passes. Well, they have the best player in football down, the underthrown defensive pass interference. That's that that's is something that counts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is part of it. Yeah. I think they have six of those – well, six pass interferences. Yeah. And the league leaders right now are around seven. And they're high. I don't have it in front of me, but they're high in the total yardage in those plays. Of course, there were two big ones 
last week, and they've scattered a couple others. But and I'm I'm obviously the the Carson Wentz uh, you know court jester around here. But yeah, uh, when they, when they get a match protect or a good play action system where they they neutralize the pass rush, working the deep sidelines, finding Pittman on the deep sidelines, finding Mo Alley Cox on the deep sidelines. He's been very capable of doing that. And that's been that's been most of their big play capability. And really most of their offensive capability has been those things and Jonathan Taylor runs, some of which have been dash plays. And it looks like Hilton is not playing this week. Yeah. Well, it's not the test. So it's gonna be it's gonna be Zach Pascal and Mike Pittman. But Pittman's been playing real well. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for Pascal. Uh, they got somebody else out there who's been playing well, and it's not Kiki QT. It's uh, it's they've got Stratum out there. I think he's been playing well. So again, I keep like the the strengths and weaknesses balance out in a way, a way where I keep wanting to say, oh, this is going to be the Titans rolling. And I keep stopping before I say this is going to be the Titans rolling. I mean, there really is a danger of overrating the Titans because their defense played so well against Kansas City last week, but that is only one game. Also, you know, they they beat the Bills two weeks before, but it came down to that fourth down and inches play at the very end. You know. It also doesn't matter for DVOA so much whether they got that one inch or not, but our perception of the Titans, I think, would be a lot different, and the general perception of the Titans would be a lot different if Josh Allen hadn't had gotten his footing and gotten that extra yard. Right. That's very true. Right. I agree. I'm shocked at the line in this game because I would have thought that betters would be very heavily on the Titans. And I have a feeling that the Vegas is setting this based on where they think the game is, not where betters are, and that this is going to be when the people like Action Network report on Sunday morning about like where the, the great majority of the handle is in bets, my guess is the public is going to come in very heavily on the Titans. Mm. This has actually gone now in the consensus to Colts minus one. Ooh. And it's right now at minus 1.5 Colts. So yeah. they've been boogieing all over creation this week. I, it's, I'm shocked that the Colts are, are – even the tiniest bit of favorites in this game, I would have expected, given the conventional wisdom about the Titans, given where the Titans stand in various subjective power ranking articles around the web, mm-hmm. I would have expected the Titans to be favored by two or three. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right that this is the house putting a number where they believe, and then they're going to adjust a little bit as the public puts real big action in on Sunday morning. I would say the fact is DVOA comes out on the side of the Colts. Right. I mean, because we have the Titans at like something like 22nd, uh, 20th. Now we have the Colts at 15th. We we come out on the side of the Colts. If I had to pick for myself subjectively, I think I would take the Titans. I think I'm with you. I mean, if if I was getting the Colts and some points, that that makes a lot of sense. But. I, I no, I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I, I think I think I think we're a little low on the Titans in DVOA. So I, yeah, I, I got to the Titans. Some of that is the Jets game, and the Jets yeah, game yeah. they didn't have their receivers. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I'm I, I'm avoiding this game with real money, but I would take the Titans as well. And if all three of us at Football Outsiders are going against DVOA. It's a sign we're all screwed because DVOA is going to take us all down. So yeah, going with the Titans. I mean, some of it is just which quarterback do you trust more? Oh. Like, do both teams have great running games? But I mean, I believe in Tannehill, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones mm-hmm. more than I believe in Carson Wentz and Zach Pascal. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, <laughs> right? Like, I know that the Colts have some good players on defense. But the Titans have some good players on defense, and and I feel like 
yeah, I just feel like the pass offense, I just trust the Titans pass offense a lot more than I trust the Colts. There's I trust one... the, Titans, the Titans pass offense to be better than it has been more than I trust the Colts offense on pass offense to be as good as it has been. There's one interesting stat I dug out before this. Uh, the Titans are t- only 29th in adjusted sack rate on offense. So that's, that's a problem. But the Colts are only 25th in adjusted sack rate on defense. So we got a real movable right. object. They don't bring a ton of pressure. No. Hmm. Whereas the Titans do bring a lot of pressure on defense. All right. yeah. um, next game we want to talk about, another 1 p.m. game, is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. So here's a battle for AFC North. Pittsburgh makes the playoffs 49% of simulations when they win, 21% when they lose. Cleveland, 64% when they win, 33% when they lose. You know, part of me in this world, and no offense to Patriots fans, part of me would like the Steelers – Colts and Patriots all just go away <laughs> rather than lingering at the bottom of the playoff picture. But the other part of me realizes that the more they linger, the more I can write about them every week and talk about them and, and, and kind of needle. Are you saying you don't enjoy watching the Steelers run 48 crossing patterns of two yards or the Patriots run 97 screens that run over the Jets linebackers? It's weirdly compelling, actually. I kind of enjoy it in <laughs> a sick, masochistic sort of way. But I, I recognize it's not great football. But uh, uh, circling back to this one, uh, yeah, useful uh, Baker talks about the mini-buy. Coming off the mini-buy, Nick Chubb is back. The offensive tackles appear to be back, last I checked. Um, and Baker Mayfield sounds like he's going to play this week. So the Browns use that mini-buy to get considerably healthier than they were. The Steelers are coming off a bye-bye, but the guys who are hurt, I think, are hurt, and the guys who are healthy are healthy for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I uh, – like the FO picks picked Pittsburgh in this game, but that was based on Keenum playing. If May, if if Mayfield plays, I think the pick switches over to the Browns. Mm. Um, Cleveland is 31st against deep passes. Yeah. Which- Pittsburgh is – not throwing <laughs> many deep passes. It doesn't matter how efficient they are. Right. They're just not throwing them, right? So, like, that's it's a good weakness for Cleveland to have when you're playing against the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> By the way, I'm checking on their DPI rates here right now because now you mentioned that. Roethlisberger has launched five <laughs> DPI balls for 72 yards. So, hi. Kind of – I'm sure they're veteran – I'm sure they're underthrown. I guarantee you that. And I'm guessing a couple times it's a veteran move where he sees Claypool against the guy he thinks he's going to, you know, he's going to hold him up there. But, yeah, I think that's the sum total of the uh, deep passing experience for the Steelers. Um, Got to go with Baker, the commercial maker, says oh. useful Baker. They really have a uh, – Browns fans, uh, they're really into this, oh, my God, he does too many commercials thing. Yeah. Like it's just one one series of commercials by what yeah, does he do? Does he have any other national commercial? Oh, he does. He has Hulu. He does Hulu also. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I mean, he does commercials, and that's fair. But he, everybody, they were shot in like one day, right? Everybody knows this. He doesn't spend all of his free time running and shooting commercials. It's like one big shoot that was done, you know, on May seventeenth. We had nothing else to do. 
This game is going to bring a lot of pressure. The Browns are number one in ESPN's pressure rate and number two for PFR's pressure rate. The Steelers are number three in PFR's pressure rate. But the interesting thing is both teams are top 10 in preventing pressure. The Steelers, because Roethlisberger throws the ball quicker than any other quarterback right now. Cleveland, because their pass blockers are so good. And their running game is designed to set up a situation where it does slow down the opposing pass rush because they run the ball a lot. They run the ball in passing situations, and they yeah. prevent third and longs by being ahead of the sticks. So I'm interested, what is your opinion of the great analytical debate of the last week, oh, no. uh, of last week anyway, oh, no. which is, is Ernest Johnson, the fact that he had so many rushing yards, even based on the advanced metric, the rushing yards over expectation that NFL's next-gen stats does based on where the blockers are at the moment of the handoff and where the tacklers are at the moment of the handoff, even based on that, he had so many rush yards over expectation, but so do Chubb and Hunt all the time. How much is it that Johnson – is really good. How much is it that the Cleveland scheme just sets is doing something that's not being measured by whatever the expectation is in the formula? And how much is it that it was just one game? Yeah, the best science is always based off of a one item sample. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how science, that's analytics, guys. One game, draw the conclusion, scream about it on Twitter for the rest of the week. Well, I mean, that was one of the options that was brought up was, you know, is it is the lesson here that it's just one game? I mean, that that would be my pick. My pick is it was just one game. If there is a lesson, it's stop paying attention to raw 40 yard dash time because uh, Johnson's uh, draft stock dropped because he ran like a, like a 4.8 foot 40 yard dash, which is made him undraftable. And he worked his way back into, I think, it, I can't remember if it was the AAF or the XFL, but he worked his way back he was in, in the AAF. Yeah, he was, I believe, in Orlando Apollo. I think that's right. He worked his way back in and shows that you know, sometimes he looked like the back he was on film as opposed to the back who could not move in Indianapolis. So, you know, be a little bit careful about people running in their underwear. I think that that's the that's the lesson I take with this. More I don't know. I mean, the fact is, speed scores do have some value. Speed score does, but 40 40 time with weight in conjunction, yeah. does have some value. This guy just happens to be an exception, like Brian Westbrook was. Right. And, yeah, but- and I would vote for highly, yes, the scheme and the interior blocking of the Browns and the fact that they, they did have their most of their linemen. I think Conklin was out, but Wills was in last week. I forget. Yeah. yeah. The offensive line, we know we know that matters a great deal for these backs, you know. And, and again, I think we, can, we know that uh, your basic – replacement level back is capable of having games like this. I wonder how much the rushing yards over expectation formula, it looks at where the blockers and the tacklers are at the moment of the handoff, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't look at how good the blockers are at maintaining those blocks. And we know that the Browns blockers are really good at like the, the formula will see using the next gen stats that the blockers are here, here, and here, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't know using next gen stats that they're more likely than other linemen to hold their blocks for longer. Right. That sounds reasonable. Um, So the current line on this game is Cleveland minus three and a half. Before asking which team you would take, here's a curious question. 
who do you think Vegas thinks is starting this game? Mayfield, right? Do you think the three and a half line is based on Mayfield, or do you think the three and a half line is based on Keenum? Hmm. I it feels more like a Keenum line to me because I know Mayfield's still only limited in practice. I know he's doing the best he can to get in, and I think that it feels like they're hedging a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's a full on Keenum line because I think at that point that might be getting down to towards Pickham. But I think that they're, they're they're they are covering themselves a little bit here. That sounds right. Because I'm I'm curious if it's announced that Mayfield's going to start. How much does the line move? I don't know. Maybe a half point. I think a lot of people like me, I've baked in Baker starting in my mind based on the fact that he returned the practice. They're saying limited, limited, limited. They're being very kind of coy about it. I, I baked in Mayfield. I'm guessing anyone who's playing the game early has probably baked in Mayfield. And I'm guessing that I, I like what Brian said, though, that it's a little bit hedged. So if they've got to move it a half point, they move it a half point, but it's not like they took it off the board or, or put something crazy out. There. I mean, I think uh, Mayfield, uh, Keenum last in the first, in last game in his first start was as good as Mayfield's been this year. I still think long term we have to estimate that Keenum will not be as good as Mayfield in the long term. But I think that the drop from Mayfield to Keenum is less than the normal drop from a starter to a backup. Especially the way Mayfield has been playing, especially the way the offense has been structured this year. And I mean, I kind of felt like we had a drop off in Keenum as that game went on. That what we saw yeah. a lot of in the early game was here's the script for to make Cakes Keenum look good and to help the back the best way we can. And then as we moved on, it was more survival. Yeah, and I don't know how much to make of the fact that Stefanski was the quarterback coach when Keenum had that completely out of line with the rest of his career season in Minnesota. Yeah because Stefanski was not the play caller right. when that happened. Right. Um, well, Shermer was the play caller when that happened. Oh, God. Um, oh, God, Shermer. <laughs> one of the great fluke seasons and, and one of the great quarterback fluke seasons in NFL history. Yes, yes. Um, play caller fluke seasons. <laughs> you're not, are you not a big Shermer fan? No, man. You watched, you watched the Broncos last week. Uh, who can be a Shermer fan right now? No, he doesn't have a lot of his pieces right That's now. That's true. That's true. So what's your pick if we're going with Cleveland minus three and a half? I was reluctant to lay a lot of points for Cleveland. So I was looking for money line and over. Money The overs that are at 42 and a half is not low enough for me to get excited about, not high enough for me to go under on. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bite the bullet and and, and take Cleveland. Minus three and a half at the at this point, and and be, try to make myself comfortable with it. Yeah, I'm with you. Enough enough of the Calvary's coming back from you know the injury palooza game they had last week. That I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think I would wait to find out about Mayfield before I put any money on this. Right. But I would take right now at three and a half. I would take Cleveland if Mayfield is playing, and I would take Pittsburgh if it's Keenum. And I would wait, and even if the line goes to four when Mayfield, if yeah. Mayfield's announced as a starter, I would take Cleveland minus four with yeah. Mayfield as the starter, I think. That works. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, because you have you have to understand that I, I do think the line will move when they announce who the starter is. I think if they announce it's Keenum, it'll go down at least a half a point. And if mm -hmm. they announce that it's Mayfield, it should go up at least a half a point. Because my guess is that this is a we don't know who's the starter one. 
Uh, next game we want to talk about is now let's go to the four o'clock window and talk about uh, new DVOA darlings, the New England Patriots. <laughs> at, I'd say the team that DVOA hates, but I think Tennessee has taken that title from them now. Mm-hmm. The, the Los Angeles Chargers, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. New England makes the playoffs in 56% of Sims oh. if they win, 26% if they lose. The Chargers, 74% if they win, 47% if they lose. And, I mean, the question is, like, is this finally going to be the Patriots having a win over a team that is at least average <laughs> and who I think we all believe, despite DVOA having them as average, we all believe are good. Um, you know, they had the close game with Dallas. They had the close game with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, are they finally going to get a win over an average or better team on a non-rookie quarterback here? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I looked over, you know, the Patriots DVOA, and I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. They're around 14th in everything. Yes, and it's a little almost like suspiciously creepily weird that like run DVOA, pass DVOA, run defense, pass defense, special teams. We're all right on this flat line here. Um, and it makes it very hard to figure out what they really are. Cause, and I, I write about it in walkthrough. It, it, it almost feels like what we're looking at or a mixture of what Belichick has done to protect his quarterback and all the opponent adjustments coming in from saying, well, that was against the Jets. So but that was against uh, the Cowboys, so or that was against the Buccaneers, so and, and we don't we, we we have a hard time finding, and I have a hard time finding the Patriots level right now. I mean, one thing I think is, even though we know special teams is the most inconsistent part of football, the Patriots right. are very consistently good on special teams. Right. The fact that they're twelfth on special teams right now, I think that will go up. That was a huge difference between these teams when the Patriots manhandled the Chargers 45-0 last year. And guess where the Chargers are again this year? Dead last in special teams. They just replaced their kicker. Their punter still sucks. Um, They just got a new return, man. They they just got a new return, man. So I feel like the chances of some kind of big special teams play turning this game in the Patriots' favor is a lot higher than it is in most games. That's one of the things that has me – well, there's no way I'm taking the Chargers and laying all the points I'm supposed to play with the Chargers. Has me leaning towards a potential upset or at least a cover. One is that. And one is I'm sure you've got it teed up, the run defense of the Chargers and how we – is terrible. Yes. The Chargers are fifth in DVOA pass defense, but dead last <coughs> in run defense. And especially up the middle, if you look at adjusted line yards, the Patriots are best running up the middle, where they're eighth, and the Chargers are 32nd at stopping runs up the middle, and the Patriots are going to pound Damian Harris up the middle of this. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ramondre Stevenson was active for this game and they so they could pound him when Harris was tired. Right. I'm looking, um, at, some, looking at something else that just I just saw here. The Chargers have been outscored in the third quarter 11-52. to 52. They're they're all, random. They're, I mean it's semi random, etc. But there's like all these wobbly numbers. Like I talk about the, the the Patriots, like everything is like on a level. There's a lot of wobbly numbers in the Chargers that c- kind of start talking to you after a while, saying, "Is this the team you think it is? Is this the team you think it is?" And I'm not I'm not like 
turning the page on them yet and saying, ah, they're a fraud. They're going to go away. That's what I do to the Raiders. The try, but but I might start thinking that way if if the Patriots play well or get a win in this game. The um the other weakness we talked about yesterday to me the biggest weakness of the Patriots in this game mm-hmm. is Jalen Mills having to cover either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Right. Right. And and that's you know I mean Mills one thing I noticed did the Patriots always in the past have a cornerback who couldn't cover. Like, no, what? no, they did. I mean, for a long time, for the last two or three years, the one was Stephon Gilmore right. and the two was J.C. Jackson. I mean, right. that was an amazing, that was a great combo. Go back in history to guys like Otis Smith and Dwayne Starks. I think so, sometimes Belichick builds it a little bit. So if he's got a weakness at corner, he's got a system to sort of protect that cornerback. Yeah, Ellis Hobbs, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they had a few along the way. And those guys, they, he would use them like, yeah, lurk underneath in, in zones and stuff like that. So it's almost like, oh, a weak cornerback? I've been doing that since 2002. I got a plan for that. Yeah, I mean, so that would help with that weakness. And, the, the, you know, we talked about the Chargers are not really deep at receiver, right? They're not getting that much out of Josh Palmer or Jalen Guyton. Um, right. Eckler will get his. Right, Eckler's dangerous as a receiver. Patriot also for I've been looking. Uh, Devin McCourty is not even on the injury report. I know he missed the little second half of the Jets game with the with his abdominal whatever. He's not even listed on the injury report, so he's good. Well, to that's go. nice to hear. Yeah, right, right. And their injury report usually has thirty-eight guys because they don't want anyone to know anything. Yeah. Fifteen guys this week. Okay, okay. Well, yes, Tom Brady is not probable with a shoulder injury every week. <laughs> every year since 2006. Till we, we laugh, but Tampa Bay should have been putting him on the injury list last year. He should have yeah. been probable with a knee injury every week. Right. Uh, useful Baker asks if this is the Hunter Henry revenge game. Ooh. You know, it looked in the first half of last week like they were finally trying to get Jono Smith going as a receiver yeah. instead of Henry, and then Smith got injured, and then Henry got the touchdown. Right. And Henry was, Henry was playing very, very well. So uh, I, I don't know if you have the numbers up about Chargers against tight ends, but that would be a big thing in this game because if you can stop tight ends and you can force Mac Jones to do more than throw soft ones over the middle of the field and his signature uh, flare pass uh, into the flat to the running back, uh, you could probably ask a little more of him than what was asked him against the Jets. The Patriots are ninth against tight ends. Mm-hmm but 29 against running backs as receivers. Interesting. Ooh. So that's for Eckler. Yeah. That's your Austin Eckler right there. Ooh. I wonder if there's a prop for him. Oh, sorry. That was the Patriots. The Chargers yeah. are 30th against tight ends. Uh-oh. Yep. Yeah, there you go. And that's adjusted for opponent, right? So that's adjusted for the fact that Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey and that Darren Waller is Darren Waller. Have the Chargers played the Raiders yet? I don't remember if they have. Hey, let me throw – I don't think they've – Played yeah. the Raiders. Let me throw a prop at you, though. Damian Harris and Austin Eckler combined over 1.5 touchdowns. Hell yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play it in your honor right now because I, I know you can't. Uh, so I'm gonna play that in your honor, Aaron and Brian. Brian, can you can you gamble? Uh, yeah. Awesome. I, I I stick to daily fantasy mostly myself, but that is okay. legal over here. Okay. Well, I'm still going to place this bet in both of your yes. Legal in Illinois, not yet legal in Massachusetts. You have to drive, I believe, to Rhode Island or New Hampshire. <laughs> I don't know if New Hampshire has it. 
Rhode Island, I think, does. Sounds like a New Hampshire kind of thing. They like everything to be legal there, right? I would hope so. That is sort of their whole point. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the line here. It is the Chargers by five and a half. Ugh. Yuck. No. You going with Patriots plus five and a half? If I have to, yes. I still have this um, this thought in my brain that the Patriots are sludge that beat the Jets. No matter what TVOA says, that's still in the back of my brain. However, in this game, if I'm forced to put money on it, and it's not just on Eckler and Damian Harris, 1.5 combined touchdowns, I will take the Patriots and the points. Especially considering, I mean, maybe this kicker change will finally give the Chargers a little bit of consistency on special teams, but the Chargers leave too many uh, points points on the field to be comfortable giving them a huge favorite. I think they'll still win, but I don't like five and a half. I'll take the Patriots and the points. I mean, it, it's possible that we're overrating the Patriots because the opponent adjustments are still just at 70% strength. Right. And I think that, I mean, they're higher in DVOA than the Chargers are. Yes. I think if the opponent adjustments were at 100% strength, the two teams would be tied. Right. But then even giving the Patriots five and a half points, this is the strongest pick of the year so far for the FO plus picks. Wow. Patriots plus five and a half. All right. Well, I'm 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 going to go with the system. I I yield to the wisdom of the machine. That's a lot. Like three and four. Like you could see the Chargers winning by three or four. Like, yeah. That's a large spread. Kicker catastrophe. They've had five missed extra points this year with the old kicker. Now there's a new kicker. No, with that, because that's when you start looking at these bigger spreads. It's like, well, what if you got a missed field goal in there? Well, that, well then don't trust that team. I, I will say Hitchhiker's Pie makes a good point. The, what difference does the difference in Staley's fourth down aggressiveness oh. versus Belichick's lack of aggressiveness make in this game? Hmm. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that favors the Chargers. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how to quantify that yet in our like formula for making picks against the spread. And I still feel like this line is too big, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt that Staley is being so aggressive on fourth down. We're missing something a little bit in some of our measurements because the fact is a lot of like picking games against the spread is based on prior, you know, patterns right. and Staley is breaking the prior patterns. Right. Right, fourth and eight conversions and things like that. And that's the thing that Bill Belichick's not going to do while he's kind of protecting a more station-to-station offense. Uh, I mean, I listen, I I think Belichick's got to get with the times and they've got to let Mac throw and more on fourth and ones and fourth and twos. And it's disturbing to me that he's become so conservative, but I do not see that changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a reminder, by the way, you get all the FO Plus picks by being an FO Plus subscriber. You can get an annual or monthly subscription at footballoutsiders.com. You also get all the DVOA splits that we've been quoting to you throughout this podcast slash live stream. You get all kinds of fantasy football research tools that Scott Spratt has put together for you. You get all his weekly fantasy projections. You get all that by becoming an FO Plus subscriber. Yes. Uh, there, there may be a deal coming in the next couple of days. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put that out there. So a deal now, or if you wait a couple of days, there may be a deal all the way. I'm, I'm helping people who are watching the live stream here. 
Uh, let's go to the next game at 4 p.m. This is the big national game. Tampa Bay at New Orleans. We do not have a graphic for this one because you'll love uh, Tampa Bay, especially their playoff odds. 99.9% with a win. 98.8% <laughs> with a loss. New Orleans is 93% with a win, 77% with a loss. I will say the odds to make a Super Bowl are a little different. Tampa Bay, 37% with a win, 27% with a loss. Uh, New Orleans, 7% with a win, 4% with a loss. So this is the most important game of the week for Super Bowl odds. Mm. Tampa Bay, 7th in variance. New Orleans, 31st in variance. I think that tells you a lot about the teams this year. Who's, who's 32 in variance? Buffalo. Because that game against Houston was so incredibly extreme that they're 32nd in variance based solely on that game. Wow. That's remarkable. Yeah, if you have an all-time struck performance, you I mean they have an all bad they have one of the all-time greatest performances ever and two losses. Yeah. Hmm. So that's pretty variant. That's pretty variant. But I think of the Saints as a team that we that I think of as variant. Yeah. Well, especially because they had the blowout win. Yes. First week. And then the second week they go out and they have the blowout loss to a team that now looks not very good. Not very good. And then they have the bomb cyclone game against the Geno Hawks, uh, which has a level of confusion to uh, analysis. Um, I mean, I'm covering the NFC South this year for the Almanac, and I've watched all these Saints games, and I still have no idea who the Saints are, who the Saints think they are. I'm trying to get a grasp on these guys. And, that's because they haven't run any plays yet. Yeah. They, just, they, they run more than any other team. They, they, their run-pass ratio is stronger running than any other team. They're 28 uh, – sorry, they're 20th in overall offense, but sixth on third downs, including third passing on third downs. So overall, they run most of the time, but when they need to pass, they've actually been very good this year. I, feel I like don't they're... think Michael Thomas is coming back for this game. No, no we're, still, we're still playing waiting for Thomas. He's not he's nowhere to be seen at this point in time. It feels he like the Saints themselves are playing before. He is yeah. on Mars with Dr. Manhattan. That is where Michael Thomas is. He's not among us mere mortals. Um, Tampa Bay, here's another interesting stat that I don't think really means much. They're the number one offense in the league in the first quarter. Yeah. I mean, they're really good all the time, right? Yeah. They're the number one defense in the league in the fourth quarter. It was fun after the um, – it's fun to listen to coaches after these huge blowout wins as they try to find some way to – you know, something to critique and something to criticize. And, you know, and Bruce Arians says something like, well, you know, we only scored three points in the second half, and that's something we need to get better on. Like, <laughs> at the end of a 38-3 to three win or whatever right. it was. And it's like, like yeah. didn't you unplug in the second half, dude? Like, you're the coach. You should yeah. know. Like, right. I'm yeah. assuming, like – I mean, we know Brady wants to sling it all game long, but I'm assuming Leftwich dialed it back a little bit in the second half. They put they put the backup in too, didn't they? they, they yep. At a certain point, they put in Blaine Gabbert, yeah. Yeah, it was Gabbert, Gabbert, hey. It was backup week last week. I mean, the Patriots put Brian Hoyer in at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that in these blowout games, I think, moving forward. But well, some Chad Henney this week, maybe. Oh, heavens Ooh. to Murgatroyd. Uh well, I was talking about the number of plays. The Saints have only averaged 58.5 plays, total offensive snaps per game. That's 29th in the NFL. The Bears, the Texans, and the Seahawks are down there with them. 
So this is a team that doesn't have the ball a lot. Okay, meanwhile, the Buccaneers are 69 total offensive plays uh, per game. That's fourth in the NFL. They're up there with the Cowboys, the Bills, and the Vikings. So it's a weird thing for the Saints that a team that is a winning team, they should have the ball more in the second half. They should be sustaining drives. There's a team with a great defense, so they should be giving the ball back to their offense more often. And I, I keep, you know, whatever the efficiency of the Saints offense may look like, they do not have the ball very often. And I'm trying to figure out how a team that does not have the ball very often is going to beat the Buccaneers this week. And if you you can point to the Packers game, but it's like, okay, in the Packers game, Packers have a weak defense. They're 24th right now in DVOA overall. We talked about having a weak first quarter defense all year. You get down the score on them, then you get a turnover on them. I don't think you're going to do that against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Here's the other shocking thing about the Saints' defense, as good as they are. They're actually about average in pressure rate. They are 31st in ESPN's pass rush win rate. Really? That really surprises me that they are that low. Like, is anyone winning their pass battles besides Cameron Jordan? I, You know, that'll be interesting because Tampa Bay does not get pressured very much. So it's going to be hard enough for New Orleans to be bringing pressure. Um, They're not a heavy blitz team. No. They, I mean, the secondary is shorthanded. I mean, they've they played well in the secondary, but they're always looking for another body back there. Right. There's a lot of that rookie Paulson Adebo, who yes. we know that Tom Brady knows about because Tom Brady basically gave a scouting report on the guy, on the Manning cast last Tampa also blitzes more than any other defense. So you're going to see a lot of Jameis Winston – Against the blitz, and boy, that's when you get high risk, high reward, Jameis, isn't it? Did you see the number of near gopher balls he threw in the bomb cyclone? There were a couple of balls that were handed a gift wrap to a, a defender who couldn't hold on to it. It was, it was fun watching a Manning and Brady and Breeze react to some of these because it, it, it was causing them physical pain to see yes. some of these balls flutter to the ground. <laughs> yeah, it was the Manning cast is so much fun. And it was especially fun with Brady and Breeze on it last week. Um, I do find it really funny when Manning has on basketball people and Peyton always wants to ask them about zone defense versus man defense and compare it to playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like he asked LeBron James and Sue Bird the same question about that. <laughs> uh, Tampa Bay plus five and a half in New Orleans. I want to take Tampa Bay and roll. A little worried about the the spread, a little bit worried about a defensive battle here. So what I took, and I'm going to try to pull my bet slip up right now, is I took the Buccaneers and under uh, the over-under here I got was 50.5. That's a high number. That is a high number. Yeah. For two very, very good defenses. So I took the Buccaneers money line, so I'm insulated in case it's a – mucky defensive duel even though it's going to be indoors so it can't be that mucky so buccaneers and under at one plus 150 that's what i take but i was tempted to just say the heck with it and take the buccaneers yeah i mean i i keep looking for like holes in the buccaneers and their their secondary is basically all the mashing at this point in time but that hasn't mattered they everyone who's needed to step up has stepped up I'm, right. i just don't see the weakness the saints exploit to get it to get uh to get it win in this one right yeah, I guess I'm kind of with you guys. I think even at five and a half, I like Tampa Bay in this one. I, I do think they're the better team. I mean, I think they're like the best team in the league, them or Buffalo at this point. Right. You know, so yeah. Um, 
you know, based on what we knew before the season, plus what we've seen during the season. Um, so I, I, I think I go Tampa Bay too. I'm pulling for the Saints because that's the most interesting for for the uh, yeah. race down the down the line, especially for the race for that the race for that uh, top uh, buy seat in the in the NFC. Because oh yeah, it really it does. If Tampa Bay loses, it it it, it helps Arizona so much, right? Or, or Green Bay if they can follow the upset because someone's going to win that game. Either Arizona or Green Bay is going to get a huge win on win tonight, and then if Tampa Bay loses, all of a sudden everything's back in that back in that turmoil. But speaking of the other team that's involved in the race for the number one seed. Let's talk about Sunday night and the Dallas Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Dallas makes the playoffs 99% of the time when they win this game and 94% when they lose. But it is very important to Minnesota. They make the playoffs 60% of the time when they win and 35% of the time when they lose. And the my biggest takeaway from doing prep on this game was that Dallas is going to run all over the Vikings. Mm. Dallas is number one in adjusted line yards on offense. The Vikings are dead last in adjusted line yards on defense. Dallas is best running up the middle or on the right side behind Zach Martin. The Vikings are actually good against runs right end, but they're terrible against runs listed as middle or right tackle. So I think Dallas 